you noticed that politicians struggle to enact the things they run on? That regardless of who wins elections, lawmakers find they cannot pass whatever legislation they like. They find themselves bound by what is popular or at least their sense of it. They can only enact legislation within a narrow set of policies and that range is called the Overton window. We've talked with people about how they've shifted the Overton window, but we haven't talked that much about the Overton window itself. And today I want to correct that. So I'm talking with my colleague, Mike Van Beek, our director of research here at the Mackinac Center. And we're going to uh, talk about how we apply the Overton window to our thinking on issues. And to demonstrate this, we're gonna talk about uh, uh, car for hire services and Uber um, and, and the regulation of it. So Mike, uh, what was the Overton window for taxi regulation before Uber entered the market? Yeah, it's a good question. And uh, I would say that uh, taxi regulation was, uh, the window for it was very limited and, and uh, constricted. Uh, regulations were similar, kind of no matter where you went, uh, they had a similar, similar characteristic. So uh, it was sort of a pay-to-play kind of system where if you wanted to be a taxi cab driver, you had to pay to get a medallion or certificate from a local uh, city. And then um, that created sort of a a monopoly kind of system um, where the taxis were protected from competition because not just anyone could uh, provide the service. So in in, uh, response to that or uh, a ramification of that is you got monopoly type prices, rates were uh, uh, constantly um, increasing. And so cities reacted with regulations that uh, restricted the rates that these licensed taxis could charge people. And that was more or less the kind of regulations that existed uh, throughout the U.S. and in places all over. I mean, the the regulations were similar in New York and uh, Paris and Berlin. So uh, it was a very sort of a uniform kind of system. And it seemed like at the time, this was a dead issue. That is, like, no one was changing anything. There was no interest in changing anything. Maybe someone would be mad at a particular uh, company that got, uh, or that's been regulated. Um, but no one was actually going to change the structure of uh, how these markets worked. Right. They'd been, these kind of regulations have been in place for a long time. Uh, I'm not an expert on the history mm-hmm. of taxi cabs. Uh, it's, I'm sure it's an interesting one, but mm-hmm. uh, my understanding is that they've been in place for a long time. And... Uh, yeah, there wasn't much movement to change them. Uh, it's just kind of the way that it had always been, right? So people grew up with these, and, and um, there was very little momentum to change them in any way. Yeah, although I think that's interesting, too, just because um, it's not a really old market. Uh, that is, like, you know, we've only had cars for, for yeah. so long. We've <laughs> only had, like, the demand to get, uh, uh, for these kind of things. I mean, I'm sure that there was lots of demand for um, uh renting horses before a taxi cab existed, and there might have been regulations similar to that. I don't know. But at least as far as modern-day Americas was concerned, um, there was one, one, uh, one set of policies and everyone was going by it. Um, and then what happened? Well, uh, Uber really uh, exploded the, the window. And this is, this is one of the things that I think is a uh, misconception about the Overton window or something that uh, is a facet that uh, is uh, not easily understood. And that is uh, politicians don't intentionally move the window in one direction or, or another or expand the window to more uh, policy possibilities. Uh, that, that can happen sometimes, but it's rare. It more likely happens when uh, technological breakthroughs uh, happen or there's some sort of change in society or the public demands certain 
uh, there's there's some sort of societal change that happens that's unrelated to politics. But what happened in this particular case is the technology that Uber was able to use, using smartphones and GPS to um, <clears throat> link up people who wanted to give rides for pay and people who wanted to get rides uh, was uh, just broke down the whole concept of how to regulate car for hire services. And uh, states like Michigan, uh, politicians here uh, totally rethought what kinds of regulations needed to be in place for uh, these kinds of services. Mm-hmm. So what do we have now? Well, in Michigan, we have a very different system than what we had before. So previously, it was always it was cities who got to decide uh, who got a taxi cab license and what the requirements were for getting that license and what the rates were that those taxi cabs could charge people. Now we have a, a statewide system where anyone, anywhere, no matter what, can uh, apply for a state-based license to drive a taxi. And those uh, regulations, those requirements are similar for taxi cab drivers and they're similar for Uber and Lyft and other transportation network companies. And so we have a much more uniform, uh, equal kind of uh, system in place. And uh, a lot of the rationale or a lot of the the reasons that uh, we used to tell ourselves the old system was needed uh, have proven to just be uh, void. I mean, there's just nothing, uh, there's nothing supporting them anymore. Wait, so what exactly were those explanations? Well, a lot of times, you know, this is common in all kinds of regulatory, uh, with regulatory issues is that uh, safety is the Mm -hmm. chief uh, concern that is levied for uh, explaining why these regulations are needed. So with taxi cab companies- Getting to an unregulated cab, you're gonna wind up someplace you don't wanna go. Exactly, I mean, it's a, you know, you. you can see the case that a consumer would want to have some assurance that the person in driving this car has a driver's license, <laughs> uh, has done this before. Maybe someone has tested them and made sure that they can drive and they can read street signs and those sorts of things. Um, or and at least it, their car's GPS these days. Right, yeah. <laughs> but what Uber did um, that's, that's really important to the story is that uh, they didn't try to uh, meet the taxi cab regulations. They didn't try to go get all of their drivers to become licensed taxi cab drivers. Uh, they just started operating. And that was huge because they provided a, uh, an example uh, uh, that you could do this a different way. You didn't have to use taxi cab licenses um, as, re- as a regulatory uh, uh, means to allow or to uh, enable this kind of service to happen safely. And, uh, and then so once Uber was operating, they, they proved their concept. And it was obvious that people demanded this service, that they were comfortable with this service, and that there was no real risks, that, uh, there's no difference in safety or outcomes um, compared to the taxi cabs. Well, since this changed policy, um, as, as you mentioned, it exploded the Overton window for the regulation of these car for hire services. Well, I mean, they scoffed at the law. They said, we don't want to do this one. That doesn't seem like it's a good model for others to follow, though, does it? Or, do, do you mean I the mean, taxi cabs scoffed so, at the model? Yeah, well, no, the, uh, uh, the Uber themselves. Like It, it, it sounds like <clears throat> if, since they were breaking these rules about these services, that these city councils or whoever was responsible for enforcing these things 
like if they were taking their own regulation seriously, shouldn't they have just shut them down instantly instead of allowing them to operate? Well, yeah, and they many of them did, right? So that's part of part of what happened is uh, Uber got in all kinds of legal battles with local cities because they they did that. They said you can't provide this service. Um, meanwhile, uh, you know, so that might be in uh, that might be happening in Ann Arbor, but meanwhile in Detroit. Uber's running all over the place and people are loving it. So, um, you know, they're sort of beating the taxi cabs at their at their own game. So it was that argument was hard to continue or to maintain or that mm-hmm. policy, I should say, to continue to crack down when you had you still had examples of it working elsewhere right mm-hmm. next door. Yeah. And that's uh, that's a really important point, because what changed well, what allowed Uber to actually continue to exist is that they found a market. They found that people liked it, and then it became a popular service. And so when it's popular, now um, uh, politicians are looking at this and saying, look, we can't really ban Uber. People like this thing. So what else do we have to do? And then they started looking for options. Right. And that's and I think that that uh, phenomenon is what expanded the window, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to or That's a contributing factor, at least, because... Uh, yeah, so they started to policymakers started to look for ways that they could fit this new technology into a regulatory system that was already there, mm-hmm. and you realize it didn't it didn't work. It didn't, it didn't make sense. You couldn't just jam Uber into the taxicab medallion regulations. So they created a, a you know a brand new set of regulations and really um, <clears throat> expanded the uh, window of. Possible, of possible policies that could be in place. And what you find now throughout the, the country and throughout the world is that uh, cities all over the, and states have, uh, instead of having very similar regulations related to taxi cabs, they have very different ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some have statewide, like Michigan, uh, some still allow the cities to do their own thing. Some allow uh, Uber to exist in, in one way or another. And there's a wide variety of, of regulatory systems now. Well, let me go back to the point that you made earlier, is that this new technology changed everything. It's like, yes, but it didn't do it all by itself either. Because if it was just a new technology and people weren't using it and didn't like it, it wouldn't have changed anything. It had to have been popular enough to get someone to re-examine um, uh, the market for uh, car-for-hire services. Uh, so to that point, what is um, what is the Overton window for cap for hire services today? Yeah, now I think it's uh, it's much broader. Um, like I said, it's, it's much more uh, diverse in the types of regulations and types of policies that uh, cities and states are using. Um, some cities <clears throat> have created, or some states like Michigan have created just a, a, a level sort of playing field between Uber and taxicab companies. In fact, one of the one of the most interesting things about Michigan's story with this is that um, by the end of the debates about what kind of uh, regulations, new regulations they were going to create to uh, allow for Uber to operate legally, uh, it became clear that the taxicab companies who had previously been the strongest defenders of the Exist or the current system um, came over to the new system and started supporting these new statewide regulations uh, because they proved to be simpler and easier and um, and they realized I think maybe they were going to get competition from Uber anyway so let's mm-hmm. have it on a level playing field uh, but other cities other states um, have made exemptions for Uber 
or mm-hmm. other taxi ca- or um, transportation network companies. So they've they've created like two regulatory models, one kind of the existing taxi cab system that they had, and then they made a new one for transportation network companies. And then there's a variety of different kinds of regulatory systems in between that. And it, like I said, it's just, uh, it's, it's much more diverse um, than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, now, since you were talking about Michigan, what were the battlefields on that particular issue like, or were the battle lines? Who was on one side, who was on the other? What were they arguing for, and what was the coalition for and against? Uh, well, uh, it was definitely the existing taxicab companies and their um, representatives who were opposed to uh, new regulations that would allow for Uber to operate on a statewide basis. Mm-hmm. Um, the local municipalities, their officials also were opposed and to the this. people who managed the policies that they had before, yeah. Yeah, a clear incentive for them. I mean, this was taking away a, a, a governing power that they had enjoyed or used uh, previously, although those regulations were probably put in place well before those people mm-hmm. were in office. But they nevertheless don't like it when someone, mm-hmm. especially the state, a state actor takes away or preempts their ability to regulate something. Um, and then on the, you know, so that was prob- um, primarily the opposition. And then on the other side, you had um, the transportation network companies themselves, obviously Uber, Lyft, uh, and some other ones. You had um, uh, groups like ours, Mackinac Center, interested in, you know, market-based policies and, and uh, more competition uh, to, to create better services for, uh, for the public. Um, get people the things that they want. Yeah. yeah, right. I mean, yeah, to improve improve the delivery of services. Yeah. Uh, which, um, by the way, that's uh, was one of the reasons why Uber was popular is that they were able right. to get people the things that they wanted. These old uh, taxicab uh, regulations resulted in uh, monopoly prices. Um, when Uber opened up, theoretically, like these were, should have been regulated rates. They sh- uh, if we had efficient regulation. They should have been around market prices. But then Uber comes along and says. No, those the market price is actually a lot less, and people really like inexpensive transportation. Right, and so that's that's another element of the uh, uh, group who is in support of uh, change would be people who were benefiting directly from from Uber. So whether it was riders, uh, people who suddenly uh, found themselves able to take you know this uh, really convenient private car for hire service because it didn't cost as much as it would to take a taxi and then also uber drivers so you know the company itself obviously is interested in this and these and the and the businesses themselves but but the individual drivers are not you know they're sort of in this uh, area where they're they're not really employees of the company they're contractors to a, to an extent except so, in the state of california except in california right but um but they were you know as independent contractors they uh, obviously had a vested interest in making sure that they could continue to uh, provide this service. So again, it was just really important that Uber and Lyft um, s- just started operating. Mm-hmm. They were in this legal gray area and they just started operating and that generated um, a group of people who were who favored this model because they'd used it and liked it and it worked and it, and it created a group of people who were benefiting from this model because they were earning income as, uh, as drivers. Mm-hmm. Now, we, we talked about how the uh, this policy area has been exploded wide open. But I don't think it's been 
uh, it, I still think there is a, a range of, of things. It's just much wider than it used to be. Yeah. So when it, start, uh, when it started, the old legacy models was um, every uh, cap for hire service is illegal unless it goes through this model um, where, where you get uh, uh, get limited amount of registrations and your rates are regulated and you got to um, uh, subject to other types of uh, regulations of, of your services. I mean, there's something outside of that, which is ban the service altogether. Governments have it within their powers to do that if they wanted to. If it's popular enough, um, uh, you could just get rid of this market and make it illegal. And of course, that would be was a boon to public transportation. Yeah, right. You possibly, have to take yeah. the bus. Yeah. A, it is. It is a competitor on some on uh, yeah. some levels. So that I mean, that's certainly possible. They're theoretically possible. It's just un, it was just unpopular. The only thing that was possible was that narrow range. Now you're saying there's a bunch of other alternatives. Yeah. I don't think, though, that un, uh, complete lack of regulation of these companies is within the Overton window right now. That is, we're we're not <laughs> trusting that uh, our tort law system uh, will will prevent harms. The reputation and 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 market uh, market competition will keep these companies honest. Theoretically, you don't uh, you don't actually need any law here. The market could take care of itself, but no one seems to be doing that. Yeah, I think I think that's right. And uh, you know, so the the window expanded, but it didn't expand um, completely. Uh, mm -hmm. So. At either end of any policy um, issue related or that you could uh, sort of put into the Overton window or see through the, that lens, uh, at the at one end you'd have absolutely no government interference whatsoever. The government doesn't do anything. Mm -hmm. Like you know, maybe it even says a law, it creates a law that says we can't do anything. We won't. You know, <laughs> yeah. you, in order to do something, you got to overturn this law. Yes, new constitutional amendment. Uh, Congress shall make no law. That's right. Uh, That's right. Yeah. Cap for higher services. And on the other end is what is what you were talking about mm -hmm. too, which is where the government bans the uh, the practice, the the, um, the the behavior, and says only the government can provide this. Mm -hmm. um, so it didn't it didn't expand that much, and I don't think anyone is. Um, you know, I don't know of any politician who is running right now on uh, completely deregulating all car for higher services. Wait, were they? running on uh, deregulate Uber at all? Or was this just an issue that popped up and they responded to it? Um, it was it was definitely more of the latter, but mm. um, but definitely uh, there were politicians who were um, running for office who uh, touted their position on something like Uber. Uh, and, you know, it was a way to signal their uh, commitment to market-based uh, reforms or mm. their commitment to help businesses or, or whatever it was, um, uh, commitment to uh, technology, uh, making the best use of te technological breakthroughs. I don't know exactly mm -hmm. the reasons why they would support it, but um, those were some of them. And uh, But yeah, you know, I think the, the, the Overton window is still constrained in, in a certain extent in this area in that it's uh, no regulations is not uh, part of it and neither is uh, total prohibition. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, to what what do you think is the ideal policy here? Um, well, I think what I mean it's it's hard to um, uh, really make a big deal about improving the policy right now at this at this point because it's in my view it was such a large improvement from what we had before mm -hmm. this recent change. I think it was 2016 when Michigan passed the uh, Uber legislation. 
that may, created a statewide system. So that system, I think, is a drastic improvement. Oh, why? Uh, well, it's uh, the reason is because uh, instead, if if you're a uh, car for hire provider, if you want to become a job, uh, you want to become a, a, a driver. Uh, previously, you would have to go figure out what your local municipality, uh, what the rules were in your area, and f and go through this Byzantine sort of process of uh, trying to qualify for those uh, for that license and to meet those regulatory requirements. Uh, the system we have now is much simpler. It's the same whether you're a taxicab driver in Detroit or you're an Uber driver in. Calumet, it's uh, all... I would have gone with Kogebic. <laughs> Menominee, I don't know, some fun name to say from the UP. Um, but uh, it's it's the same, so it's uniform, and, and that creates more uh, of a level playing field for people. It creates more equality for um, drivers and for the businesses to compete with each other. And in the end, right, for consumers, uh, that creates better services, lower prices, and um, and that's that's the end goal, I think. Uh, so that system is better. I think you could you could argue for uh, even less of a regulatory footprint here. Um, you know, I think especially uh, with regards to the technology that's out there now. Um, you know, you can't you can't really hide from any uh, behavior you take as an Uber driver or as a Lyft driver. Um, and, you know, uh, so I think the state could take a lighter approach where they, instead of requiring people to pay, pay for a license and require them to get uh, uh, annual certifications and those sorts of things, uh, they could just register with the state um, so that the state, you know, they basically post publicly that they're going to be providing the service. So if you have a problem with their service, you know how to get a hold of them and know how to uh, take legal action against them. Um, but... Uh, that too is not something that I've heard a lot of people talk about. So that also might be outside of the Overton window still. Um, but I think that would be a, a, a beneficial move. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things about uh, everyone trying different things is that right. at some point uh, we're going to be able to compare these things as opposed to when everyone is following the same kind of models, uh, everyone is getting the same kind of results. Um, but when people are trying different things, we can see whether this was ideal, if, if these changes, these different things matter at all. Um, uh, or, uh, again, like if you do think on a theoretical basis the market can take care of itself, uh, you can look and see if people who are more strict about the regulations uh, get better results or if people who are looser with the regulations get better results. But I guess that also uh, raises the question of, what are better results here? What do people actually want? What are the public uh, public goods uh, that are supposed to be provided by these regulations? Uh, well, the the sa question about safety is one of them. I think that would be uh, still the the primary one, where um, the the public benefit is that uh, from requiring some sort of license for people to provide this service is that you have some level of guarantee that this person. Uh, met some standard set by the state uh, before they uh, were able to provide the service before you jumped in their car. Uh, now, I, how much uh, reduction of risk that actually uh, produces, I don't know. I don't know if anyone really knows. But mm -hmm. uh, as you said, with uh, different states and cities taking very different kinds of uh, actions, we can test these kinds of things. So. Mm -hmm. 
you know, Michigan, I know, has statewide regulations. Um, if there's another state that allowed their local cities to continue to do their own thing, you could compare uh, Michigan to, to those states and those cities and see what, uh, what the difference is. I, I would look at things like, say, you know, are there uh, instances of, of harm done to drivers or uh, passengers? Uh, accidents related to uh, taxi cabs and Ubers, um, maybe the rate, the average rates. You could measure sort of the uh, the market uh, competitiveness potentially. How many different operators are there out mm-hmm. there? Uh, so there's a number of different uh, ways that you could look at this. I don't know that mm-hmm. there's any one perfect way or best way, but uh, there's there's options. Yeah, and it can also deal with. Uh, I was going to say that usage is an important thing, like. Uh, if more people are using these uh, uh, these services in places that are lightly regulated, or if they're using them more in places where they're more tightly regulated, that could mean something. But there's uh, there are externalities here because if we're talking about car for hire services. There is the big issue of congestion in major cities, and you can also now um, measure. Uh, the effect of the service and its regulation on congestion, on this un, uh, uh, unintended consequence of using these uh, uh, using these goods. Yeah, that would be another uh, a great metric to look at as well uh, to see what kind of impact that it ha- that has on um, on congestion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, how stable do you think this system is right now? Uh, stable in the sense of how likely is it to reform or to, to change again? Yeah, yeah. So we made major changes. Yeah. There's a lot of thing, a lot of people trying different things. Um, we set up the system, at least in, in Michigan, um, that 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 you like. But you know, people could be really unhappy with the service. Could be really unhappy with the regulation. The future looks uh, can look can look very different. Or it could have been that. Uh, the way that that reform worked, it was very lopsided. So a change in political circumstances mm. could lead to uh, could could lead to major policy changes. Yeah, I would I would say uh, the chance of change is really low. Um, I think it's really stable, um, and the the reason for that is just I, I'm just thinking generally regulations don't change very quickly, right? So the reason that this is a good example or something worth talking about is because the state made a major change to its regulatory system that had been in place for decades. So um, that tells me that uh, regulatory systems that remain in place for decades are kind of uh, how it goes in state government typically. There's Mm -hmm. not major changes to them um, normally. So I wouldn't wouldn't expect major changes along you know to to these new ones either and i th- but i also think that um part of the reason is because regulations don't train change often but the other the other reason may be that um they're uh they're now flexible enough potentially um or they're uh, flex flexible is probably not the right word for it but um they are they're broad enough uh and they're um uh, uh equal enough uh where uh, they're not going to upset. Uh, they're not creating a special interest that could sort of uh, generate the kind of mo- uh, momentum you would need to get politicians to act again on this issue. 
Are you sure about that? No. Because with the, but with, I mean, <laughs> that's let, my me, guess. let me give you a hypothetical situation here. Yeah. Those. Then, all right. So, Mark, uh, policies for these things are wide open, but we're implementing these things, and there's only a handful of companies that are really providing these services. What happens when they become monopolies? Where they yeah, okay. that start to uh, yeah. to manufacture excuses that look like, uh, hey, these uh, these are going to provide some major public benefits. Uh, if if we give you some favors or, or or allow you to raise prices or or a whole bunch of other things that could be uh, that could be used so that you know while things might be wide open right now they might just all tend again in the future and I'm not saying this is bound to happen yeah but uh, the future wind, may wind up looking a lot like the past where you have an overregulated industry with a uh, with a product that costs too much. Um, uh, compared to what could have been. Well, that's another. Uh, that's a great reason why my uh, suggestion that just registration is even superior, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's less likely to be uh, captured by um, by a uh, incumbent uh, business or 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 an industry. Uh, I think that risk is is always there. Uh, mm-hmm. I think, particularly in Michigan, though, the 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 way the regulations work, it creates an open enough system that um, it will be difficult for any one provider to uh, really dominate and get to the level where they'll where uh, capturing these regulations will really benefit them in some substantial way that'll make it worth their while it'll probably just um, uh, that I think that open competitiveness will uh, help to work against that but it's I agree uh, you can't eliminate that risk entirely mm-hmm. Mike Thank you for coming on to talk with us about the Overton Window. All right. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Overton Window, a podcast by the Mackinac Center for Public Policy. Learn more about The Overton Window at www.theovertonwindow.com.